Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the PD Performance Podcast. This podcast is a conversation with strength and conditioning coach and personal trainer, Will Foden, who is based out in Singapore, but is currently undergoing the process of relocating to the UK. Now I got Will on to talk about a charity challenge that he participated in in the last couple of weeks, which was a 58 kilometer ultramarathon with a weighted vest, which he performed as part of a group they managed to raise over 80,000 Singaporean dollars in aid of motor neuron disease and cancer research. Now, I intended to spend a little bit more of the conversation talking to Will about that challenge, but unfortunately, as is the case with a lot of good conversations, we went off on a number of tangents as we talked about the fitness industry as a whole, strength and conditioning, and we talked about the English football team in the Euros. Will was under the impression that it was coming home, but unfortunately, it hasn't. Anyway, as always, I hope you enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, please remember to like it, share it and send it. Mr. Foden, how are you doing? I'm very well, man. How are you? I'm good. You were saying off air there that you're not incredibly well, though. You've had a hectic day, have you? Life of a PT in Singapore or S&C. Literally life as a PT, bro. Just busy, man. Just you can imagine that everyone's been stuck in covid if you're a personal trainer and the environment's very unsure so we're i'm a very big but obviously we're leaving singapore as well so it's, it's a case of just make hay with the sunshines um and pt is not a glamorous job i think people get this association with oh you get the uh you get the freedom you haven't got you think you haven't got the boss you haven't got all but it comes with all the peripheral stuff of getting up at quarter to five in the morning and i get i mean like it's seven o'clock now finish this eat talk to my wife 9.30 bed is, is pretty relentless, but obviously it has its perks as well. So it's not, I'm not, it's, it's all of my own doing. So it's my responsibility for sure. Somebody once described it to me as like doing an interval, interval session for life. So when you're, <laughs> when, when you're on, you're on, it's just like, get all the hours in, get as much work as you can done. And you're trying to optimize that work as well, but there is going to be a lot of volume, as you said, given the time that we're in at the moment and with Singapore open and shut again, open and shut again. And you having tons of clients that will want to come in and train with you because they want to experience you as a coach. That's why they're working with you. It's hard to get them all in, in the day. How have you adapted kind of your coaching? Have you been doing a lot more online stuff and just programming for them to do stuff outside of the gym? Or are you trying um, to cram them all in? No, I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer of energy. My background in Singapore, I, I work with high-level CEO individuals. I work with some professional athletes. Um, I work with guys with semi-pro athletes as well. But um, I'm very, time is money, yes, but energy is currency. And if you're, if you're, my clients are paying top dollar for a PT session. I'm not the kind of person just to sit there like a lemon and just give them exercises. That's not my nature. I'm, I'm a... I'm a professional coach with a professional standard. I'm obviously a rugby player at heart, so I love having banter. I'll talk shit and have a laugh. But we come here to work hard, get shit done, and, and train smart. So I'm, I've, I've sort of transitioned my, my business half online, mate. I mean, when I, the last COVID lockdown, I lost 85% of my wage because of all this. the gyms were shut. I flipped my whole business online. So I, I, I got back to 90% of my wage within a month, uh, not be just from hustle man no i'm not like any freak it's just it's a service-based industry is what does the client need and what do they want a big thing what pts do is they 
you'll see this when you when you as you said as you get when you throughout the industry as you go and see a course and everyone will be doing the same thing whereas when you learn actually what what's needed for that client i think that's that's more what that's why it takes so long is because you, you my brain is just turning over the whole session and i limit myself my i mean i maximally take eight a day if i can i mean today i had nine but i'm, I'm coaching a, a professional fighter so it was a case of he had to come in today so it was just it is one of those things really but yeah the online space is my where i'm scaling my business currently working I actually work with quite a lot of personal trainers and, and coaches who want I'm a, I'm a strength and conditioning coach from heart and I'm a performance-based coach so I'm very big on actual programming so I've got like a programming option and I work with one-on-one so I've obviously got guys that have got more health-related issues not not diseases but more of a case of just getting their shit in order and sorting their value systems out and that kind of thing so it's more a bit of both worlds man it's awesome so coming from a rugby background um I can obviously empathize with you as well and coming from the strength and conditioning background a lot of the time in Britain and Ireland, it's like more, more, more. And we're taught to just suck it up and get on with it. You seem to manage your energy very well, as you said, and set boundaries and schedule times when you have to switch off as well so that you can come back to your coaching and give your coaching 100% when you're doing it. When did that click mm. with you that you had to do that? Um, I ran myself into the ground, man. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I've by no means perfected that. I, as at the moment, if anyone who, who knows me here knows I'm full speed ahead, I can't sit down. I've got calls. I've got clients. I'm trying to get, I see building online presence with leaving you fit just because of when we moved back to the UK. That's obviously, I'm running two jobs and there are times in life where you need to push the needle and it is, you are out of balance and you are stressed and you haven't got much sleep and you have, but that's when you want to start reach the next echelon. It's realizing that there is going to be a, so I've literally, I'm I, I, the analogy is, is I'm like a burning plane about to land when I go home off. And it, I mean, that's, people will say, Oh yeah, that's not healthy. You should be, you be thinking, but when you're, when you're trying to, when you're self-employed or you're trying to make an impact, there has to be an obsession. And whether, you, like, as I said, I, I mean, I played professional rugby. I didn't play really high level, but I played uh, academies in the premiership and I played championship. Like even then, the people that were that were the greatest who I've ever played with, they were obsessed, like obsessed, obsessed about the detail. And I think if you're not, if you're wanting to do something special, you have to be obsessed in some way. And is it healthy? Not long term. But there is times in your life where you have to push the boat out for you to, to, to take the next step now it's also a grown-up thing to know that they, you have to have that destination time where you have to switch off because you can't just... It's like uh, the analogy of, of your take an iPad, for example. Usually what happens when it doesn't work, you just turn it off for a bit and you leave it alone and suddenly it works again, isn't it? Like, it, it, that's literally a person. Is it is the minute... If I, when I can get home, walk my dog, eat a full English breakfast, breakfast with my parents and just chat shit with my family for a bit, Fuel me up, man. I'm ready to go. And that, that's the COVID's been a funny one with that. Hey, it's been very hard. Turn it off and turn it on again. That's how all the tech literally. industry make their living. Like, have you tried turning it on and off again? It literally is. <laughs> it, it, it's you take it to Apple, man. It costs you 300 bucks and they just turn it on and off. It kills me, man. Slaves yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. They, well, we're doing effectively the same thing. But obviously, <laughs> touching on it there, like, that's what you value, though. It's as you said, your value systems like and you want to have a goal to work towards, because if you're not working towards something, then you're just going to be flat all the time. Like and so you have to challenge yourself in those ways. And in a way, I would be a very obsessive kind of personality, too. And in a way, it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? Because 
Absolutely. You do, you do get heaps done and you get heaps done at high quality, but we're people like us, we're pretty bad at knowing when to when we're doing the minimal effective dose in terms of our professional development and yeah, when yeah. we're just creating this noise and doing stuff for the sake of doing it and pushing it on. So we can get that 70% results for whatever 70% of the effort. And then the rest of the 30%, we're having to double down on what we've done already to get that 30%. And then we just leave ourselves spent. And it's something that I've yeah. been working on myself of late as well. And it's something that coaches have to do is just set boundaries and say, look, I am going to take the whole day to switch off or I'm going to switch off when I go home. I don't want to talk about work at all. And you do come back ready to go and ready for action. Like, And it is something that a lot of people are missing in this day and age as well, is that challenge mm. and that kind of something to work towards. So obviously you're all about the self-improvement as well for yourself. And your clients yeah. generally are going to be a, a, about that too, because they're high functioning CEOs, like they're at the top, mm. the top table in their profession as well. How important is it to have physical challenges for those clients as well in this day and age, not just in their professional life, not just in their family life? I think like what I've, my whole training system in the respect of how I operate as a coach is you're training for a purpose. I don't believe in someone going to the gym just to piss around because there's, there's better things to be doing. I, I would, if someone said to me, what's the best cardio for fat loss? I'd say go surfing in Bali, not do multiple assault bike sprints. People, people associate fitness as, as the be all and end all. And it, I'm the same. I'm addicted. We, 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 we are addicted to progression because we've seen, and I come from a background of, of not, I've never been big enough, never been fast enough, never been fit enough, always been fatter. Then I got slimmer. It's always the, the, the case of people have always told me that I can't do something. So I've had that drilled through me throughout my whole rugby career, professional career, and something that I've focused on hugely at the moment, like you said, is understanding value systems because then it gives you reasons to tell people to fuck off. Like if, if, if I value education and I value, it's at the top of my top three of my values list where whether it's I'm educating myself or I'm educating others. I love seeing someone getting that eureka moment of actually, that's not actually that hard. If I tell you, if you ate that much protein a day, this could happen. Or, or if you just add this amount of fruit and veg in your diet, which is or how much sleep you're going to get all the boring shit that everyone doesn't really want to, they want some magic, this and magic, that or magic training, or they want to have to suddenly, I read a book um, the other day talking about this, the difference between peak performance and optimal performance and peak performance is like you get to the race and you run it. And then, then what optimal performance is I continually strive for that a grunt for that 1% every day. And some days it doesn't happen, but I know that if I set my boundaries in there, so example, like I said before, as I get up at quarter to five in the morning, I start work at six, I spend twenty. I read. Uh, I spend twenty minutes reading, and everyone, my missus thinks I'm bonkers. It's the only time of the day where no one can touch me, and it's in. And I'm a big. I'm a huge believer in. You have to have energy. You have to fill your cup up first, man. You can't be. Too many people give too much energy to others, and they get to the end of the day, and they've achieved nothing for themselves, and then they feel unfulfilled, undervalued, and usually they either procrastinate, fuck about on bullshit like just slouching on Instagram and looking through shit. All that's when they start start medicating, whether it's drink, whether it's shit food, whether it's getting a massage and getting a happy ending, whatever boys are doing in Singapore, and it's weird. But that's what that that's that's literally something that I hugely I've seen throughout the people that I've dealt with. As I said, I work I work a guy worth hundreds of millions of dollars, all the way to a mum with two kids. It's it's 
understanding your values is going to dictate your behavior throughout everything for sure they go to that extreme don't they because they haven't done the small stuff in the lead up to have their cup full so then they can't get the enjoyment out of the small stuff so then they go for that yeah. extreme kind of like they want the drink they want the adrenaline whatever else yeah, yeah. like adrenaline um it's interesting just thinking about being coaches it's a profession in which uh you simultaneously love people and hate people because hate people yeah because <laughs> but you do love working with people and connecting with them and talking to them one-on-one but at the same time i'm the same i have to get up in early in the morning and get all my shit done before my roommate even gets out of his bedroom because i'm like i don't want him distracting me whatsoever i don't want anybody distracting me when i want for and sure. it's probably because we're men as well. So we can't multitask. We just need to focus. <laughs> that's on that's one definitely thing. <laughs> my missus is, is, is like, we're leaving here. We're, she's, we're getting rid of our house. I have done zero, zero. And she's done everything. She's been amazing. But it, literally, man, it's the same thing is, is we see this all the time is people don't, it's the, it's the airplane analogy. They look after everybody else, but they haven't put the, they haven't put the mask on. And that's what I, I'm a huge, I probably I found that out the hard way when I was I was in a very bad relationship before and I got seriously injured and lost everything. Um, but that's because I was I was looking after her. I was looking after me. That wasn't her fault. That was my fault. I wasn't I wasn't strong enough, man enough, asshole enough to be to say this is finished. And it took me getting my leg snapped in half by a horse <laughs> for it to, for it to happen. So it was um, it shouldn't take people that level of extreme situation for that to happen but it happens every, like you see this everywhere people come in and they got nothing because they've just given it to everybody else and that they then what for what the extra whatever amount of money that you're yeah. not going to be happy spending because you've fucked it's just it's and a you've very no strange... time to spend it either so you spend exactly. it on a happy ending <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no comment bruv. no comment i'm only messing what is it about coaches <laughs> though and toxic relationships i don't know what the story is but it's because you see i think you you idolize positive behavior. You, 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 you see, you usually see the best things in people. Now, well, the problem, what people don't, what, what coaches don't do that I see, I see, I personally, I have to sometimes have to say hard. It's, it's very hard to have hard conversations when you're dealing with a general population client, especially flip it up. If you're, if you're using a professional athlete, you don't have to say shit to them. They'll do it. I've got a guy now who's training for a fight uh, in a professional fight. And I literally, I could tell him to do anything. And he's, he's been on his feet all day working. He's with his company. He's not eating very much. Gets in the gym. This dude goes ham. No questions asked. Even though I don't want him to, he'll do it on his own. Then you've got the opposite side of the scale where you've got Karen, who's, who's coming to you eight weeks in a row, still eating chocolate biscuits for breakfast. And you're, you're trying to... It's very difficult because you're trying to induce positive behavior, but sometimes yeah. people need a metaphorical slap to just say, listen, you're going to kill yourself. Yeah. And that's what I use a lot with it, with, with people that aren't on that level of the extreme scale or professionalism is using pain points. And I've got a client who had a son and he's 140 kilos. And I said, you're going to be dead in 10 years. And this dude literally was like, Oh shit, which is minging, but it's taken me 15 years of coaching to have that sort of level of, 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 confidence to go if this dude turns around and wants to fight me or tells me to fuck off i have to accept it but when you first start personal training it's very difficult for you to do that because you're on someone that you're they're paying you for an hour and your first assumption is they're paying me for my time rather than they're paying me for a result and that's very 
it's still hard as a coach, regardless of how old you are, I think, mate. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I obviously came from the athletic and strength and conditioning world into personal training. So I remember Tom sitting me down after a month and saying, Peter, you can't speak to everybody like they're a rugby player. Um, as you said, Karen doesn't doesn't need that tough love straight away. Like, you know, you can't be <laughs> no. just fucking and blind. Okay, sort yeah. of shit out. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's that kind of motivational interviewing style works with some people and then other people you just need to give them a clip around the ear and say here get your fucking shit together as you said but it doesn't work with everyone and it's all about reading the person and reading the situation and then you talking about them paying you for the hour yeah 100 percent. you try and get the max amount of volume out when you come in first in that hour so you're like they're gonna leave now and they're gonna come back and they'll be stronger but you just batter them and your your coaching isn't There's good no either point. because they can't even hear you because they're so fatigued because they're yeah. doing way too people much. Use, people use fitness as abuse. And we, we have to realize, like you said, I'm not you. I've come from um, a strength and conditioning background. I've played sport all my life. I've always been competitive, whatever I've done. I'm aggressive. I fight people. I'm, I'm, I've got this like chip on my shoulder that I'm never good enough when I was a kid, whatever. But then, like you said, you've got Karen there and she's had a bad day. She hates her husband. Her kids are being horrible. She's not eaten. She's not slept. And when you start personal training, like, yeah, double drop sets on the fucking leg extension. And I'm going to send it with her on the assault bike. And then you get into that. You actually realize that this lady's a human. And that's something that I, I, I'm very passionate about is believing that there's more to life, that, that there's more to this game than what fitness shows. Like people associate fitness with just a six pack. If I was saying this to a client the other day, like, I'm, I'm, I love programming. I, programming is, I, I don't know, it's got a bit of a knack for programming. I enjoy injury prevention. I can't, you can't sexify someone saying I haven't got a sore shoulder. And that's probably worth more money than that eight week six pack they've eaten 800 calories on and they're going to put 20 stone on afterwards because they're going to be a fat melt and not have any help. That's where I've, I've started to, to, to try and breathe this like long-term life performance, optimal performance, your, your health is the most imperative thing you have. You have to perform at your best, whether you're in a fire saving someone's life, playing football with your kid, or you have, you've signed up for some, you've signed up for a white collar boxing fight and your kids watching. I'm not getting knocked out. I don't give a fuck. Like it's, that's what life should be. Not the one-stop shop. You're coming here just to do this. And, and people, people do this. So don't understand the difference between living, like training hard and living hard. Training hard is really easy. Like, because it's simple, living, living hard and living to your best potential is very difficult because people get pulled away from and, and don't have their, their sleep, hunger, uh, energy, uh, digestion, uh, stress management. They haven't got their stuff and they haven't got their stuff in a row at all. That's it as well. Like it's, it's the trading spirit and it's training as well. Like, isn't it rather than exercise for means as a means to an end, like you don't just come Whoa. in and that's what you're trying to get into the client's head and something that we're trying to change in the industry. Like I hate when people put up these sessions on Instagram. So here my session today is like, yeah. And like, that was your session for you. Okay. Mm. If I'm going to gain some knowledge from that session, Great. If you have something interesting to show me or you hit a PB, super well done you. Happy to see it. But if you're just putting up mindless glute bridges and booty stuff every single day <laughs> and, and looking for likes and it's not helping anyone in any way, like what are you doing? Like, 
So it's all about that education of clients and of the general population into training for performance, because coming from a perf- performance based training background, like and training athletes, it's always for performance. And it's way more fun. You get more buy in because you're working towards something. And you don't have to go in and batter yourself every day. Sometimes you just go in and you cool off the jets. And it is just simplifying that for clients because that seems kind of daunting to them. And they don't say, well, why would I do that? But as well as that, it's not just the training in the gym, as you said. It's the holistic model of health because that fuels the training in the gym, the nutrition, the sleep. It, like emotional breaks, like taking a break away and going having uh, a night out with your missus, maybe, or seeing your kids or oh. playing with them and stuff like that. And you come back rejuvenated and you go at it. And initially, when I got into the online coaching, somebody said to me, when I looked for them to do uh, a review of the week or whatever, a wellness questionnaire. And I was like, how is your sleep out of five this week? How is your nutrition out of five? Like really basic things. And they were like, oh, oh this is too intrusive for me i just want you to send me the workouts and i'll do them and then they're running into problems after two weeks because the work they're not able for the workouts because their sleep is shit and their nutrition is shit now partly i would take that personally and say it was my fault because i was throwing too much at them too soon but partly Mm. they need to realize that it's not just the work that you do in the gym and that's my job as a coach to educate them on that and show them that this stuff is way more important than the stuff in the gym. Like you do a lot of nutrition work with clients and you probably do a lot of nutrition only work with people. What do you think is the lowest hanging fruit for people in terms of their optimal performance in life? Is it nutrition sleep rather than in the gym? And that might sound really, really strange coming from two strength and conditioning coaches because that's what people think Um, they do. Yeah, I think people forget they're not a professional athlete. Most people, as in, I've got, I've got one professional athlete on my books. There are three kids that have fought for the Sea Games, so they fought they've internationally. They're not paid. They're kid. They're like eighteen. So like these guys, it's, it's performance based nutrition. I don't need to tell them their strength training. They just do it. When it comes down to everybody else, people very much underestimate the power of of sleep. I've had multiple clients come to me. We've we've got obviously started using measurables, whether it's Aura or Whoop. You sort their sleep out, they become more insulin sensitive. They, they, they stop actually being in a stressed state. They wake up with energy. Fellas are waking up with a hard on. They haven't seen in the fucking six months. Like stuff that's really important that is, and, and not shit in green apple splatters. Like they, they, they go into the, it's normal. It's not like the Holocaust happens when you go to the bathroom. Like stuff that is very underestimated. As, and it's the, it's the biggest fat loss game changer is sorting your health out. And most of our, our gen pop guys, however much we know how much they deadlift or how much we'd improve their bench, keep them on the planet longer, playing football with their kids when they're 50 and shagging their missus or having a laugh and, and being normal or, or their fella, whatever. But point being is like the point of all this is that it improves their life, not getting them ready for a powerlifting meet. And don't get me wrong, like again, not blowing smoke at my My first client at UFIT, I had this fella... Uh, he was a, he was he was whatever 20, 120 kilos or something. Um, he uh, Indian origin, so obviously just good dude. Dude's got a lot high carbohydrate diet. Doesn't know anything. Drinks a lot of piss. Whatever. I'm gonna train like an American football player. This dude's doing conjugate system. I don't give a fuck. So I've got this dude doing like speed deadlifts and all this stuff because he saw he knew me and he's like, man, yeah. I wanna, and I, I literally 
what? I zoomed out one day. I was like, what are you doing? Like, this dude needs to go for a, get on a treadmill or yeah. walk. Like, he can't, he's big goose. Point being is like, I think we, I saw a good slide from a friend of mine, Matt Peacock. <laughs> he did an expo and he's got his first slide was two, was a picture of two fucking huge, Rob Wolf and uh, whoever it was at the Olympia. And he says, just to clarify, you're not coaching these as your, as your clients. And that's literally what we have is the thing with me and you and, and other guys at coaches, we're very passionate about the weeds, man. We want, we want to know, we want to understand strength curves. We want to understand uh, biochemical processes. We want to understand sort of like programming detail to velocity, all this shit that we're like, yeah, wicked. My client does not need that. My client needs to be taught how to eat like an adult. They need to understand that water is better for you than, than intravenous coffee. They need to understand under what their hormones are doing when they're trying to go to bed and they're sat there watching shit on Netflix until 1am. These things then make you the everyday athlete rather than being this one-stop shot. Oh, cool, man, I've gone to the gym and I've smashed out my squat and I'm going to go and eat a pizza because I'm being... All right, brilliant. But then what else are you doing the rest of the week? That's, that's where this is. And that's very difficult as a coach because I think we get alienated with that. It's hilarious that as an industry, though, probably strength and conditioning, even personal trainers included in this, we've moved away from the lowest hanging fruit as far as possible. So people think we're all about getting up at 5 a.m. on four hours sleep. Uh, <laughs> we don't Literally. do cardio because cardio sucks. Do you know what I mean? You just yeah. lift heavy every single day, batter yourself. Yeah. And don't bother with the compounds. Let's do some super really advanced and weird exercise on a BOSU ball oh. with five bands. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, whereas like performance, it, it alienates people, as you said, because performance isn't all that crazy shit. I put up a post before about that being the five, 10%, but performance yeah. is going to bed on time. Performance is yeah. eating like a fucking adult. Performance yeah. is getting some steady state cardio done in your week. So your heart is fucking and your, your cardiovascular yeah, yeah. system is functioning well. Like, but people don't see Absolutely. that. They think it has to be really complicated. And that kind of turns them off starting. So that's something that we really have to change as an industry is say like, look, you don't have to do all this uber complicated stuff in programming. And as you no. said, it might be our fault because we're interested in the weeds. So we put the weeds up on Instagram all the time. Because Absolutely, man. We get feedback from other people that are interested in the weeds. And then that gives us a, a bit of self-satisfaction. And it's like, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. They all said that I'm great. Whereas who wants to see me on an assault bike for half an hour going really, really light intensity, like a bit of nasal breathing? You're like, you don't, nobody does. It's not sexy, as you said. No. Now, I think the problem with young personal or, or even personal trainers in general is they look at their social media and they think they're trying to glorify what they're doing to people like us, where the people that are buying your shit aren't looking at you for your nasal breath. They're looking at you for a solution. You're Yoda, man. It's, I just read a book um, called Story Brand, and it basically says that the reason why Yoda is, is the guy for Luke is because he's a guide. He's not Luke's dad. He's not this. He takes it from A to B, shows him what he needs to do, pushes him away. Fitness should be that. We should, I, my, my number one selling tip in you, in you fit or in Singapore was when a client came to me, I said, you will not need me in six months. You'll want me in six months. Because if I educate you enough for you to do it yourself, all the other shit 
programming, yeah, you shouldn't learn that. But if I can get all the rest of it sorted and you come in here and you feel like shit and I make you have a good day, you won't leave me. And that's not me being a dickhead. That's me being, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a guide. I'm, 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 I've got your back. When the shit's getting real, I've got your back. And that's what a coach should be. Now, what people do is they go, Instagram, right. Haven't done a few posts in a few days. I'm going to do some fucking stupid workout that looks amazing with no context, but yet glorify it that it needs to be done. So, I, I, it, And it's something that you learn. I think you learn that from mistakes. And I, I, I'm, I'm, we're not, I don't, I'm preaching from a guy who's, I've made so many mistakes, like in my coaching career, in my rugby career, in, in my business career. I've paid a lot of money to realize I've done the wrong thing. And, but not many people like to talk about, they want to talk about their wins or man, I made fucking whatever, 10 sales today. Well, how many, how many sales did you not make? Like that's, we don't, no one wants to talk about that. Well, that's the shit that makes you stronger, more resilient, makes you learn. So again, I think that's something that is hugely not shown in the industry very well. Yeah. You either win or learn is what John Kavanagh says, isn't it? And if you're not making mistakes, then you're not trying very hard. So like we can't be afraid of them. And the funny thing is, is the two of us both know that we're currently probably making mistakes as well. And in two years time, we'll look back and be like, what, what was I doing, doing there? <laughs> Whereas like, like that's what happens as you go grow in the industry is it's that Dunning-Kruger effect. When you start off, you're like, I am the man. I know it all. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah. But then you like, you look into a few things and you realize that, Jesus, I probably didn't need to do that variation there. I probably could have got the same out of that variation. There's many ways to skin a cat. And the only way you become a good coach is by knowing that you're not a great coach or not even a good coach. And you're constantly yeah. trying to improve. And then the other, the other thing is you're trying to improve your clients as well. So like you have to also want to improve the quality of care that you're giving to them. And that's what you're talking about there. And if the quality of care is good, then they may not leave you down the line. So you can't be afraid that they're going to leave you because if the quality of the service that you're providing is good enough, then they're even if they do leave, they're going to tell five, 10 people. I worked with him mm. before. He's really, really good. You should go and talk to him. So it's more of you're not talking scarcity. You're not thinking of them like, oh, they're not going to buy a package now. I'm going to lose them. You're thinking mm. like, what have they gained from me? I'm trying to give them a hundred percent of me all the time so that then I can grow myself, grow my business and help more people. But it does get to a don't... stage as well, doesn't it? Where you have to say, no, I have enough at the moment. I can't take any more because my quality of care will yeah, diminish. Yeah, yeah. It'll drop off. As you said, like you're shattered today. You definitely couldn't have fit it. Well, you could have fit in two more sessions on top of that, but they would have been fucking awesome, shit. Yeah. Yeah, and I couldn't do this either because I'm not doing this at 11 p.m. because I, <laughs> I value my sleep. <laughs> no, uh, people buy uh, don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. So I think, like, especially for a young coach, is is you have got to hustle your fucking ass off to get as many hours under your belt as you can to make a lot of mistakes and learn. Now that's being it's still that's not saying don't be responsible. That's just saying that you learn you, most of the information that you'll learn the power of not giving someone exercise when they're stressed and giving them more food and more sleep. I had a kitty lose two kilos this week. And that's, it's taken me three months to figure that out for him. 
this is you're never gonna this is always gonna be hard but one thing that i think it's something that again what i was i've learned to not do is just be a course slut just go and take course 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 clip the ticket and then not use it i'm i'm a massive I, learning is one of my, as I said, massive part of my value systems. If you haven't done uh, Dr. John Demartini's value systems, do it. It's free. I've done his course. It blew my Swede off. But point being is that I know that I love ticking boxes. I love learning new things and sharing knowledge. But sharing knowledge and utilizing knowledge are two different things. So, uh, I mean, I, did, I when I first came to you, you or in my previous years when I was in Yorkshire, I would buy course after course after course. And I've done so much. Whereas the last 18 months I've done stuff for my business and I've just gone through my old courses and I'm trying to implement that because the thing is that what people do is they get stuck in the realm of, like you said, chasing many rabbits, but never catching any rather than what's the task, what needs to be done, move again. And repeatedly doing that, I think there's a huge power in doing that rather than, ooh, biomechanics on a machine oh sweet now i need to learn functional medicine oh no okay cool i'm gonna go to a wim hof seminar oh yeah sweet i'm gonna go and do x and and, and again i was that guy i I was that guy Uh, my advice to young youngsters is pick five people who you respect and who know of value in the industry and stick with them for a long time rather than go around 30 people finding all this other bullshit like keto is the only way or or insert any any stereotype fitness thing um i think that's a huge part of what we what i've learned anyway yeah you can have all the theory in the world but if you're not applying it practically then it's not worth a damn really like and if you keep like we are i like i even have to stop myself at times when you see things and you're like geez that's very interesting now i might actually go and well i don't have time to go doing more and if i do go doing more then what i'm currently learning i'm not going to learn it properly and i'm not going to be able to apply it properly and that's the problem really in the education side of things i would say is they bring in and they show you all the theory for whatever amount of years you're at college for three or four or five doing a master's then they say right go ahead they're out and coach now and you go out and coach and you're like Jesus, all that stuff I learned doesn't fucking matter a ah, fuck. Doesn't matter at all, bruv. Literally. Uh, because I have to be able to, to apply it to the people that I'm working with and I have to be able to connect to them and I have to be able to communicate. And lots of coaches can't communicate effectively. So how do they expect to be able to put forward this theory and help people if you can't actually convey that message to someone simply and concisely? And you forget you're dealing with people. The people you're dealing with, the humans, they're not. If you're going to you go to a laboratory, yes, we you can start speaking jargon about whatever cellular health or whatever. Most people don't give a shit; they want the answer. So instead of you going around the bush and measuring your dick and showing them all, well, I, I a tactic that I I use is I dumb it down so simply. Most of them think that I don't know what I'm talking about, and then when they ask me a question, I blow their head off, just to let them know that. I know that you, I'm, I'm intentionally not giving you the most scientific reason. And what I'm doing is I'm making this simple for you to digest. And I think that's something that it, it takes a lot for you to back yourself to do that. And it takes a lot of learning. But I think if people have, you have that in your arsenal as a coach, you then become the guide who can then pull on information from here rather than just going, there's my information, fucking suck it up. I'm going to tell you what mitochondria health is because it's really important. And 
your client's not asking that. She wants to look better in a bathing suit, man. Like she doesn't even she know what a mitochondria is. Nah, exactly. She thinks she wears it, mate. It's literally, <laughs> yeah, not. It's not. Um, people. Yeah, it's very. It's underestimated the power of just simplifying and making realizing you're with humans. It's Yoda as well, though. Yoda simplifies everything, doesn't he? Like, if you yeah. if you understand, then you can simplify. If you don't understand, yeah. then you'll make it complex. So complex that Agreed. you'll alienate everybody. Um, and that's sure. what the, the continual education of clients is about. It's about simplifying everything for them so that they yeah. feel that their, um, their self-efficacy is at a level that they can go away and they can, they can do it themselves because it's not complicated and just realize it's no. not complicated. It, it is, it's what it is, is reasoning. That's where the key is, is, is taking scientific information and giving them a reason for it. It's not the, the, the weeds of the information that's important. It's why is the application important? Why should you be having 2.2 2. 2 grams of protein per kilo of body weight for 90% of the people we work with? Because most of you are eating chocolate biscuits before bed. Protein is going to do X, Y, and Z for your, for, your, for your body composition. It's also going to do X, Y, and Z for your hair, skin, nails. It's also going to be... Not you having 200 grams of steak is, is, is all you've got, you, you got to do. It's, it's what you said. It's late. It's, it's late leaving breadcrumbs them to find, and then giving them access to the next level if they need it. I've got some clients that they want to know, or they want to understand what the cortisol cycle is for their sleep. But most of them don't. They they if I say to them that they look at me like shut up, man. I'm I'm, I'm watching whatever like the football. Come on, <laughs> but, <laughs> we yeah. got this far without mentioning it. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I haven't watched football since Thierry Henry and Tony Adams played at Arsenal, mate. So the, I, I, I've actually, I didn't even know, but I've pulled Italy for the, for my for the for the, for the Euro draw. <laughs> so I've made cash, mate. I'm chilling. So I've got this. I can win more money, or I can have the glory of England. So it's really, it's hard, mate. I want my I'm English, but I what also you, want five hundred bucks. <laughs> what you could do is put a bet on England. Oh, you can't bet yeah, in Singapore. Mate. I can't nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit yeah look no. uh, yeah um i didn't bring it up on purpose but i didn't think you'd be that interested anyway because i know you're a rugby head at heart so um yeah, but yeah. england definitely deservedly in the final even though sterling's diving to get them there but they're the better team so uh hopefully yeah. they go out now and get bet by italy and that video <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's fair yeah i think somebody said it to me before um an australian said it to me he said we know that we're the worst winners in the world and that's why everybody hates us but we're not the worst winners in the world because the worst winners are england they're even worse than absolutely absolutely did you see the chaps in in london it was just mental like like, i'm proud to be english until the football comes on yeah. and then you just want to be you want to vomit it's so funny it's it, so funny it's gas so but they yeah. just they get behind it like they haven't had anything to shout about in a long time so they're trying to yeah. belong to something isn't it really and and they're putting that belonging into the english football team who i just think it's hilarious that right when if you look at the rugby team right everybody gets behind every team you might have your rivalries like you might have gloucester mm. and bath or whatever and the Gloucester fans give a, a fair bit to the Bath fans or the Bath players, but they still will have a beer with them and shake hands and whatnot yeah. after or after the game, and they'll get on well with them. But I think it's so funny that in England football, 
they absolutely abused the shit out yeah. of players for the whole four years. And then when it comes <laughs> to the team, they're like, oh, Harry Kane, come on. Uh, it is, uh, mate. It is a very strange culture. A very strange culture. I, I think I think it's because it hasn't got any violence, mate. If you, again, I've sort of transitioned a bit out of rugby and I've gone more towards jiu-jitsu and MMA. So I'm with people that are trained killers. And they're the most humble people ever because they don't have to prove they're odd. A footballer, I find 90% of people who are, who are, who are like, whether they're hooligans or whether they're like yobs, they've got a chip on there. They're trying to prove that they can they can be a warrior and they can be, be this like, uh, this big dog. But the people that you should be scared of, you don't see them or speak to them because those motherfuckers will, will, will do you. Like, and that's not, I've always, I've never been a footballer. Like my dad's a footballer. Um, I was just too fat for football, man. So I, I, I played, I played Go rugby, on. I played tennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I was a defender. I'll just mop people up. There was no ball involved. This big fat unit was, yeah. as soon as the fucking hammer was down, there was no breaks. But yeah, I played tennis, mate. Tennis was my game before rugby for a long time. So I was a tennis player way before rugby player. Um, I didn't so, pick yeah, you for a tennis player now at all. I did not. Mate, if you, if you, I mean, I've, I've played at Queen's, rode to Wimbledon when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. So I, was, I wasn't bad at tennis. And then I was, I was just too violent, man. I just threw my racket at people and that kind of thing. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah it I was, go down um, the rugby route. Mm, it mellows yeah, you out though as well because you actually get to hit people, rugby and jujitsu and any sort of fighting yeah. or it's combat sport I'm, I'm, I don't think you can it's in me I'm I'm, 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 I'm a gladiator and then that's the just I, I my mum always just said I have to just go and get dirty the minute I did I'd have a release and maybe I had a, I, I'd done some NLP coaching and, and uh, a practitioner's course and, and we I'm very much I've, I'm very much like that because I wanted to prove a point so it's ingrained in me now I get involved in conflict regardless because I want to prove the point but I just love the the like said, the rest of it that comes with it like with rugby it was about brotherhood I was this was that was my version of going to war like I'm, I've never been in the marines I've got military family but that was my when I stepped on the rugby pitch man is it is me Cinderford was the most horrible place to play rugby for anyone else but us ever shithole but it was my shithole and I would do I've I've done we've beaten Ealing there Jersey like when they were in the national one I've never been involved with a team like like that. I mean, Doncaster is very similar. It's a, it's a it's a it's a working class town. People are passionate, man, and I, I thrive off off. I'm an emotional person, so I, 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 rugby was my game. That's probably I was. That's the reason why tennis failed me because I was emotional. Like that was my. I couldn't handle it. Do you miss the camaraderie and the kind of team Every culture day. of rugby? in the jiu-jitsu because you're obviously doing the jiu-jitsu because you want that kind of challenge and you want that combat stimulus and just mm. the self-improvement like it is addictive as well yeah. like because it's so it hard addictive. to get good at you, you actually do get quite a lot of camaraderie at jiu-jitsu because everyone's everyone's it's first day at school every day mm. and i think that what that taught me was in james Kidd's book the book legacy with the all blacks he talks about the all blacks having a blue mindset now i would if i could go back that would be the one thing i'll change is i would change my red mindset to i, I was mate i would fight anyone rugby players are hard to make i don't give a fuck mma athletes i got choked out of my first bjj class like so I, I, my point being like i was always my you see this i've got a face like a jigsaw puzzle because i stuck my face where everyone put their feet or I'd, I didn't care, had my ear, like loads of uh, whatever, but more, 
I was doing that because I couldn't control my emotions. I would let that run me. So that's why I, I, some games I was making 30 tackles a game, taking tackles for the people. I wanted to just smack people. Now, if I step back, I could have, I think I would have gone further in my career if I stopped being a dick and trying to prove that I could tackle everybody and just hit hit the perfect tackle one and three. Jiu-jitsu, on the other hand, has stopped me being emotional. It's made me actually really allow me to think under pressure. That's the best thing it's done is someone is literally trying to snap your arm and you, if you're emotional, you'll break your arm. If you're not emotional, you'll escape. And that's like life, man. And that's why I think jujitsu is so addictive for people is they'll find situations on the mat that will hugely correlate with situations with whether it's with clients, your family or with whoever is you can really, it, the, the mindset shift has been massive. And I think that's been probably the biggest thing that happened to me in Singapore was finding that. It's, apart from my business, obviously, but it's helped me run my business for sure. It's interesting kind of analogy, isn't it? To break it down, slow down your thoughts and think about it rationally how to get out of this, but also think about it based by based on feel. How am I going to get out of this? Or absolutely. And and that is a metaphor for life. Yeah, yeah. And it you may get it in other in other sports and, and training formats as well, but probably not to the same degree as you will in jiu-jitsu. It's not as intense, I think. I didn't, I didn't choose a striking sport because I'm a reactive person. So if someone punches me, I don't care. But the difference is in MMA, they'll break you. Rugby players, most, most of them aren't actually that hard, really. They are, but they're not like an MMA athlete is going to fuck you up. Whereas like a rugby player, you're like, ah, okay, he, he probably hits me like a hammer, but it'll be okay. So I didn't choose striking because I felt like it wasn't good for me. Because I, because I associated violence with a rugby in a rugby domain where I th- I, I've got a huge respect for for fighters in general and even boxers they are savages and and uh, oh yeah there's been a lot of a lot of detail around head injury and that kind of stuff lately but it's a choice and I mean uh, it's the same with rugby like there's people getting injured in rugby I'm very lucky touch wood that I, I the biggest injury I had was not rugby related like everything else was, wasn't I mean I broke my jaw at Twickenham like stitches everywhere ear ripped off that kind of thing not outside of rugby I had way worse injuries so yeah. I was lucky well Owen Scullion's trying to get you back but I don't think you're going to be able to now considering you're coming back to the UK yeah uh, and he no. was on to you every day I know but uh you did play after the leg break though again didn't you you came yeah, back yeah, yeah. Yeah. so I I signed my first Doncaster Knights contract seven year, eight, seven years ago. Eight weeks into preseason, my ex girlfriend was getting attacked by a horse. Got the horse off her. Tried, the horse tried to kick her, kick me, and snap my leg in half. So I did my ACL, PCL, and MCL. And yeah, I was there. Was two other kiddies who did it. They, they did the same injury as me playing rugby. They never came back. Uh, I came back and played against Cross Keys, and they actually made me captain, which was really weird. Yeah, after ten months. For that, for just for that game, I don't know why it was like Took I was it off shitting you. my you didn't pants, play well. <laughs> and it was it was like it was like fucking just go and do that. So yeah, so I played it. I played ten months later. Played two more years. I played eighteen months at Donny, then moved back to Hull. I played three years. Went to Sydney. Played in the Marlins, and then I came to Singapore. Played at Wanderers. I played five, six games for Wanderers, and then broke my rib. My rib came out my chest. So and then I. The bug had gone, man. I played I played all my life. Like when I just signed for Donny, I was like, this is my break. I'm going to play premiership. I, that was all I was dreaming on. And then I had my leg kicked and I was like, I'm fucked here, but I'm not going to quit. And I think it literally was stubborn-mindedness. I was, it was impossible. There was no way I wasn't going to play rugby again because I had just had my dream for me. And then it came to Singapore and rugby's not professional. It's, it's, it's fun, 
but everyone goes it's more of a it's more of a, it's, it's more about uh the lifestyle and having a laugh rather than i was i was still in that professional play national one for 10 years that like it was this was about winning and i think i found that very difficult i love the boys are fucking wicked and i mean i was lucky enough to coach them to win the league and it was that again that's one of the biggest achievements i've had was was building a gang of men who were just ready to kick the fuck out of someone because they they cared about each other. I think that's what was the main thing about that. But yeah, I just don't have that. I used to rugby was that was all I was going to do. Now, no interest. I'll play like I'll play touch or I would, even I would if someone called me up and said I needed to play someone big, I'd be like, go on then. But I don't have that like burning desire to prove a point that I could play. I think that's where I knew that was the end of my of my run of trying to become what I wanted to become. And I think that's what it, it's very difficult. I still have demons. I mean, people, sportsmen do. Yeah. My missus on the other hand, she she left swimming on her own accord, so she she just got no interest. Yeah, I left. I left. I felt I left rugby not on my own terms, and it took me a long time for me to realise why I felt that and accept it, and still feel comfortable making decisions that weren't rugby related. Because my my previous life, I didn't care what anything else was doing. It was rugby. That was yeah. it. Yeah. But you still do search for that that challenge and that social kind of element in other places. And I did actually want to Absolutely. start with the, the challenge that you ran the 58 kilometers. I was like, I'll have a yeah. small little chit chat about these things here. And we're moving <laughs> to it. And we've been yeah. going for ages now. Um, yeah. The other thing I was just laughing at was if you were making 30 tackles again, mate, there was no way you were going to get through a Nat 1 or championship season. Not a no, hope no. of it. Playing no. every week, I, I, like it's that's it's no. so intense. I think it's the most intense league, nearly in the world. The, either of those two, because you have a smaller squad size and they play week in, week out. Like, yeah. so like you I, don't get a break. Sure. Nah, I, I think. I mean, I, when I I didn't make I didn't do that in the, when I was it was when I was young at Cinderford. I would, I'd make that. I was like eighteen years old. Didn't give a shit. And then you suddenly realise that you're not going to survive very long. Yeah. Um, and that's and, and again, it's it's championship is probably the the contacts in there are, are insane. Like some of the blokes I played with there were fucking mental. Like just huge men. And I mean, I played the shoot shield in Sydney, and that was the fastest rugby I've ever played ever. So like even in even in the second team or you watch the fourth grade. You've got a 21 stone prop throwing a double miss pass off his left hand. And it, it, like, <laughs> and it, was, it was wild. Yeah, it, it, we joke, mate. I swear. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is the, the impact it had on my body. I remember when I was um I was 22, the chairman pulled me over and he was like, You do know you will not be playing rugby by the time you're 30. And I was like, obviously, young cat, thinking, fuck yeah. off, man. I, I'll, I'll do it. No, I didn't stop because of injury. But the point being, I think the world whether it was right or wrongly, it pulled me off rugby because I probably would have hurt myself. Like I was very, very lucky. I had the stuff like a lot of concussions and stuff, but nothing yeah. like what, nothing wild. Yeah. So did, how did you manage, how do you manage all those old injuries when you go about attempting to run 58 kilometers across Singapore um, for charity? First, give us a little bit of a lowdown of everything that went on and then, Give us a rundown of how your training process went in preparation for it. So Dylan uh, Goodard, he he ran uh, west to east in a weighted vest last year for a joke because he's a savage. <laughs> no idea why, because he's bored and he's weird. 
Uh, we, I did, he barely trained for it, but yeah, mutant. Anyway, long story short, he's a genetic freak. Year. He doesn't need to train he's, at all. I'm, I'm nah, pretty convinced a, before doing all this stuff. Boy. He um, then organised for the boys to run 33k from north to south. So he got a group of fellas um, who suffered. We did it, they did it for charity. Then they did it for motor neuron disease. Uh, I think it was motor neuron disease, chat or cancer. Uh, Both, I think. Wasn't I it? actually got. Yeah, yeah, that that was for the for the just now, but oh, I mean, right, for the right. first one, they did that. But I actually got injured doing that one. I I because one of my legs doesn't work in the same way. I pulled my hamstring on one side, so I couldn't run. Anyway, I, the next time I actually ran it on my own. I ran and I had that thirty three k with a vest on, and I did a hundred and whatever bike ride and a two k swim. But I basically did a half Ironman just for just to just prove a point. Basically, that was that was just because I was being, again, I was being weird. But point being, this, fast forward to now, one of the fellas we ran with, his dad passed away from motor neuron disease. Another guy who ran with us is, I think his, his one of his relations, uh, cancer, and, and another one with MN. So we went, right, why don't we do something big as a group and do it together uh, and aim 50 grand? Just because I think during COVID, under the hood, mate, it's because we were all bored as fuck and we had nothing else to do and we needed something positive. And it was a challenge. It gave us a focus point to Purpose, actually go yeah. and do something. Yeah. And give us a, it gives us a bit of like, this is not just about us. I think a lot of challenges are about your ego. Yeah. Where this was a case of, do you know what? Let's do something weird. Let's do something and, and really push. Now, two weeks before, three weeks before, we'd made like, I think it was like 15K. And then we just felt we put the burners on. And just, we had such an amazing amount of support. We made $85,000. We had people dropping big money with respect to us because we were very much like, come on, let's, we need to do, this is not about us, this is about everybody else. Um, and then, yeah, we ran it. We ran it. Um, the fastest time was Lawrence. He ran it. He's a freak. He ran it in sub six hours, which animal, fair play to him. We did it in uh, seven and a half, me, Dylan and, and Lee, and then vice versa. Other guys came in sooner and sooner and later than that. Uh, but training wise for it, I, I, I invested in a coach. That's what I did. And then again, I, a friend of mine who's coached me before, uh, Shane O'Leary at Muscle Nerds. I've worked with him before. He was getting me ready for a fight. I trust him. And he's, a, he, I get me and him. I, I think also you have a personal connection with your coach and me and him. He's a, he's a fucking legend. So I knew that he'd have my back. And I did five months, very much a lot of endurance stuff. I did a bit of powerlifting stuff as well because I was trying to improve my front squat and my overhead press just because I, I like gym focus. I'm a gym rat, man. I like I, physical strain is a big thing that I, and physical toughness is my, I love that. So I couldn't just become an endurance athlete. So yeah, I, I basically built a huge bit of volume with a vest on. I worked up a 35K on my own. And then, um, yeah, man, we clipped 58K in seven and a half hours. It was, yeah, it was spiritual, put it that way. Yeah. First of all, fair play. That's unbelievable. I, when I was when Owen came on, he was talking about it. I was like, these boys are crazy. Um, but like he just <laughs> went and did it, and the amount of money that you raised is unbelievable. Secondly, I was just interested because I was asking, I know that you're a gym rat and you love lifting heavy, so I was interested in terms of your training intensity and volume. Did did it have a big and frequency? Did it have a big drop off when you were preparing for that? And then the second yeah. one was, did you do much? Um, off heat conditioning as well as running in the vest training very much changed for me in the respect of aim was to change body composition first so I try I aim to lose 10 kilos because by default if I have a 10 kilo vest on but I've lost 10 kilos of weight I'm running at body weight I lost eight and a half 
uh, was a, there's a lowest I got. Um, so training for that was very, very singular joint, core, upper body gymnastic work. Obviously, pulling the, dropping the system down and basically trying to drop body fat was not about me one RM deadlifting. And then it periodically got got more and more. It's basically single leg and a lot of front work, uh, front squats type stuff. Um, and again, core. But gym volume did go down. I trained uh, two or three times a week gym, and then I'd run three times a week. It, my gym runs would vary. So at start first, it was purely about getting the. It was purely about getting some miles in my legs. So it would be five k's, ten k's, and it would be like forty five minutes, one k repeats with getting my heart rate back down to one twenty. And then it, there was a, there would be a run with a vest on in the week or maybe two, as in the middle sort of cycle, or nearly always vest. Two days or two days were a vest, one day was not. And then I would periodically for the last six weeks I'd clip an extra five k. So I started doing twenty k, and then went twenty five k, thirty k, twenty five k, twenty nine, twenty eight k, and then I went thirty five k, and then I ran the race uh, ten days later. Did you run the whole thing with Lee and Dylan beside each other? Did you stay yeah. together for the whole thing? Was that a big yeah. push? Like, was that, do you think that made a big difference in terms of e completing in that time? Uh, massive. I, I, we had a, it was a, it was a, it was a very strange environment because I've never, I'm a big nerd, man. When I'm running, I've got earbooks in my ear, podcasts, trying to learn. Da, da, da. We did a whole thing with no, no earphones in or nothing. It was like meditating. It was weird. Like I've never, I, and I'm, I'm into everything. I can't handle that. I, I need to be busy. Um, but yeah, we we started. I always said that I was running it with Dylan. I said that I'm going for it. I'm I'm not. I'm staying with him. Give a fuck. And then Lee. It was funny throughout the race that obviously Lee changed his, tra- his strategy. So he took his water off to try and get less weight of him. But he changed where his, his vest was. So he fucking he nearly blew up. But then he he to be fair to him pulled his head out of his ass and he stayed with us. And then it was very much a bit of a tick for tack. One minute Dylan would push and I'd have to push to stay him. And then he actually, he's had an operation on his shoulder. So his shoulder started to give up. So by the end of it, mate, we're, he's walking nearly as fast as we're running. And we started running, we did the first 15K, 15K running. And then we basically worked for four minutes, rested for one continually. It, it was a very alien experience. I've never done endurance events. So, so fueling strategies around walking and running strategies around pacing strategies around heart rate like my first hour of my heart rate i couldn't get it down but during the during the phases before i was running six between 615 and 630 pace with the vest on at 150 for 10k this we were running at 630 pace and i was at 165 couldn't get it down but that was just adrenaline yeah like, you were just ready to I go knew, ready, I, I knew from a carbohydrate standpoint, that I'd need to, I need to make sure that I was fueled. So Matt, I smashed gels like you've never seen. I was on like a, I was on an hour. I was having a salt tab every hour because the week before I ran 10k and I tweaked my hand, my, my calf, but it was just because it went into spasm because I, I was so dehydrated. But because of I, I, it is a thing you read when you read like sort of long like endurance athletes. This catastrophe mindset. As soon as you have something knocks you, it wobbles you. It's suddenly fucking massive. Everything, and yeah. for the whole week. I was prepping, man. I was scared. I was, I was scared. I was gonna let, I, but I was more scared than let the team down. And I think by the end of it, so me, Lee, and Dylan were all together. Mm. And then we just, we, we just, we just said we're not going to leave each other. What, what's the point? Just finished four minutes ahead. Of it. The whole point is we pulled, and I pulled. Like they pulled me, I pulled them. I'm a bit weird, mate. When I'm tired, I just start talking shit. 
like and yeah, start I was having gonna a say, laugh. Could you talk like the whole way through it? Yeah, oh yeah, no, I was. Oh, Dylan was getting annoyed with me because I, <laughs> I was like, that, I, I was, I was like that on a rugby pitch show. Like, yeah. we we got eight minutes to go. We're we're level headed. Everybody's fucked, and I'm I'm like, nah, I'm not. I am, but yeah. I'm not gonna tell yeah, you. We, I'm, yeah, and I I'm, I have that in I have that in my business, man. Like I I, I'm openly tell everybody I'm fucking knackered, but no, I would you would never know it. Because I don't, I do that on purpose. Because sure, look at you. You're on a podcast, man. <laughs> and you shattered. Um, I was going to say though, in terms of like completing that with the lads, you described it as spiritual. That connection that you must have with them must be similar or akin to that that you would have with a rugby team now. Um, Absolutely. after completing that together, like or even more significant, I would say. It's a a very much a brotherhood mentality. I'm very like I'm very people person. Like if you're if you're under if you we're in the game with me, you're my brother, and I'll fucking I'm in. And, but I'm very much like that. If you fuck me off, see you later. Mm. And I think that's it's something that I'm very. I did this at Wanderers. We had we had a there was a big dispatch between locals, old guard, new guard, new people coming in, and my literally my selling pitch to be coach was I don't care what the result is. I want to build a gang. Because I, I thrive in an environment that's infectious. When you're in an environment and people are literally pushing the needle for each other, it doesn't matter what you're doing. And it, you have this through leadership, you have this through teams, you have this through business, you have this through fucking family. It's like expectation. And and it becomes down to this performance narrative. And that's probably why I'm so driven on performance rather than me. I don't look... I, I struggle to just keep saying fitness because I think fitness is, is not, is you should, it's just that you should be fit, not, you shouldn't be morbidly obese. You shouldn't be a fucking drone of society. You shouldn't be, it's not acceptable for you to be a mess because there's kids and people you, who go to Africa and they've got nothing and they've got smiles on their faces and no money. And you're coming to me moaning, moaning, you can't put the fucking crisps down because you, you're, it, 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 it blows my mind. But that's that's not people's fault. That's because people are sleepwalking. The minute you you show them their values and you help them get to another state of and the readiness and they're ready to change and they're ready to sort of put themselves in front. That's why I'm a personal trainer. Is what you've got a problem? We are going to solve it. I'm not going to judge you. I don't, I don't I don't care where you're from. If you're you can't teach effort, and it doesn't matter whether you're like I said, Karen with who's massive. She's let herself go. Cool. She's trying to do something about it. That's brilliant. If she if she's making excuses about it that aren't validated, and she because she's not looking after herself, I'll tell her you need to look after yourself more, and vice versa with with Dylan and Lee. I had this connection with them since I've been here, and it thinks being an expat does that to you because you haven't got family, you haven't got you haven't got your normal mates, and you haven't got you you have to push to find people that are going to be in the same who are going to go to war with you. That's why I train with Dylan, man. Is is I train Dylan to stay sharp because that dude is mad. But point being is I won't quit. I may be not fast as him on some stuff. I may not be able to do what it did. Point being is motherfucker, I'm going to stand there and take it because I can. And that's what I, I, I don't know. I just love that. And Lee's the same on that run. He was fucked. He will openly tell you he was. But there was not a chance he wasn't coming up with us. Yeah. He, that was it. That was just what we had to do. All right, mate. Well, usually I finish with quick fire questions, but I'm not going to today because I value your time and I know that you're shattered and I appreciate you coming on. So we're going to round it up now. But what I'm going to say is I'm going to get you on again in the 
future, maybe when you're back in the UK and we're going to finish it all up. I did want to go into a we lot can. more detail, but we just talked shite, which I had envisioned <laughs> was going to happen. I did think this was going yeah, to happen. Yeah. So, mate, congrats on the... I don't know if it was, it's not the official wedding, but congrats on that. I know you're having Thank the, you official very much. the official one back in the UK. Um, we are, yeah. Yeah, so best of luck when you get back to the UK. Go have your dinner, talk to your missus, go to bed, rejuvenate, and I appreciate you coming on. So thanks a million. Great Thank job. you very much, brother. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.